Hello and welcome once again to the Modern Times Podcast, Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi, John. How are you doing today, Karen, with the political trauma that we've gone through for this last week or two? Oh, well, like everyone else, uh, I'm just trying to not let it overwhelm me or exhaust me. And um, I think that's essential to take breaks and to... uh, (laughs) Enjoy life as best we can, lest we all go insane. <laughs> well, today, too. Can I? Oh, to, yeah. no, I I'm, I'm sorry. No, I hope you're you, well, too. Thank you, Karen, very <laughs> much. And, and, and to hope to, you know, we kind of hope that political profundity cures your maybe political insanity um, by making sense of it all. And today, our rundown is talking about our national shame, which happens to be what's going on uh, along the border. Um, we're going to be talking about the Democratic uh, debates, which happened this week. There was two of them, uh, with 10 each. Uh, and then we're going to jump over back to Washington, D.C., and uh, the fact that Robert Mueller has been announced that he's going to be appearing uh, in a public session of the Intelligence and Judiciary Committees in July. Um, and across the world, um, Trump and world leaders are at the G20. Um, and then we're going to dive back into Arizona and talk about uh, the new uh, uh, press secretary in the White House, Stephanie Grisham, who has ties to Arizona. Talk about her a little bit about how she got to the White House and what she did in the Grand Canyon State before then. And then lastly, we're going to kind of jump into Scottis's big week, um, which really was two uh, rather large decisions, uh, one on gerrymandering and the other on the census question. Um, so, so Karen, let's jump right into uh, what's gone on on the border. We know that there's uh, kids in cages, kids being held, families being separated, but then there also was these issues of spending, um, and they weren't spending on the right things. Um, and then we end up with a bill this week that comes out of Congress. Um, it seems like it didn't really make anybody happy, but at the same time, it might have caused, uh, you know, called the White House and the GOP's bluff on spending. Um, uh, how, how are you seeing it? What were your initial thoughts? What are you thinking now? Well, <clears throat> you know, for the background on this, which you nicely explained, but just, of course, this was a uh, $4.6 billion uh, aid package, among other things, to tackle this horrendous, shameful migrant crisis happening at our border. Um, you know, the House Democrats wanted originally, they wanted a stricter bill with more protections for these migrant children. The Senate, and I have to say, the Democrats in the Senate uh, kind of cut them down on that. Pelosi, Pelosi and her and her caucus and Democratic voters thought, okay, well, it's either this or nothing right now. Our goal is to help these kids, even if politically the optics don't look good for them, or us, I should say, not the poor kids. Right. Uh, Pelosi was quoted saying, the children come first at the end of the day. We have to make sure the resources needed to protect the children are available. Uh, you know, this is, you know, not... Not the best timing for her, given the, you know, just mounting in pressure on her to really take a stronger stand on getting impeachment hearings underway. That's another matter to discuss. Um, so, you know, Trump's going to sign it. And it, basically, the Democrats reversed after the showdown on rival congressional plans. Um, you know, we see the sausage making, and I don't, that's not always a bad thing in, in how a bill is crafted. Um I mean, I think the New York Times describes it as a striking defeat for Pelosi. I think that's 
kind of the both sides mainstream media, you know, lacy narrative. I'm not sure it's fair to say that. I, I clearly suspect that her goal was to make sure these children were getting something to help them. But again, she <clears throat> it was just it was too much to manage dealing with rounding up some Senate Democrats to, you know, offer up a better fight against what Republicans wanted. Right. There's also another element of this, and again, I, you know, not excusing all of Pelosi's decisions on this, but as we know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, I just, I don't think the, the New York Times description in this case is fair at all. But, yeah. you know, she also spoke with Mike Pence, the vice president, before the vote. Now, reportedly he, and this is where I think Pelosi, frankly, does look bad. You know, that she gave her assurances regarding child migrants. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. No. We're all suffering from the allergies, at least here in the West, aren't we? Yeah, they're killing me. But including the prompt reporting of deaths in custody. Gosh, John, that sure is reassuring, oh, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Let's um, delay and, on that. You know, that Pelosi, that Pelosi would take anything that comes from this horrendously corrupt White House and, you know, one of its biggest enablers, that being the spineless vice president, that doesn't speak well of her right now either. Um, well, you know, so, I agree, but, you know, it's uh, it does seem like it's some of these, uh, you know, political talking points, and I think that, you know, the, the, the hard and fast on this story um, has to be that uh, there wasn't going to be spending, and it seemed like the GOP wanted to pull uh, uh, Democrats into a trap here by by saying, oh, yeah, "Well, you absolutely. have to do certain things." And you know, I mean, for for you know, it, w- when you're in those roles, I think you have to sometimes, and 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 I think that's what Pelosi did here was say, "Well, we got to take the bad with the good here because what's most important." is maybe that there's some change and that we're trying to do something. We're even willing to take things that we don't want because we just think that these kids got to be taken care of. And, and and let's fight this battle on another day because what's most important is that actually there's some spending there because they're now blaming us for why they're not spending money there when we all know that that's not the truth, that there's money to be found. And, and early on in the discussion, they were trying to make the case like you can find um, you know hundreds of millions of dollars to try to move in order to build your wall but you're not finding an extra right. dollar in order to fund these centers and, and and support for these kids and and that's really the game that the GOP was playing and and you know and f- for the Democrats credit it seems like they just said okay stand back and you'll whiff on this one and we'll get you another time because what's most important is just taking care of them they can't be pawns in this argument and if they didn't just agree at this point, the Republicans would have made them pawns, and by consequence, the Democrats would have as well. Uh, you know, and I really see it as as the GOP wanted these 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 families and these children to be pawns in their political game, and what the Democrats basically did, at least leadership, because some that just want to fight didn't care, and and because they just see the fight, and you know, it just doesn't become people. I think looking back on it in hindsight, most of the folks in the Democratic caucus are going to see this as we did the right thing. Oh, I agree with you on that. And look, in the long run, this is going to be looked at as a good, well, I don't know if we really want to call it good, but right, a, yeah. the, a, a the solid best bill that ends, was helping right? kids, yeah. d- despite some of the clumsiness on the part of certain Democrats to maybe 
i.e. manage expectations, number one. Number two, just simply know how to play the politics get better. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You know, there's an old saying, Republicans know how to win elections, Democrats know how to govern. Right. And that also includes messaging. You know, the Democratic Party, although it has gotten better, you know, it's still not particularly impressive in those two areas. And when ultimately what does matter is governing. Um, I, I just, it's, it's good to see that there will be help coming to these kids. It's incredible. I, I surely Pelosi must know that she cannot rely on anything that comes out of that mm-hmm. administration to be right. accurate right. Right. or truthful or sincere. And, and, you know, she, maybe she's saying what she has to say, to, you know, right now to get this through. But, you know, if she's smart at all, which she is, mm-hmm. she's going to, to realize that the Trump administration are, you know, in general, they're all pathological liars who cannot be trusted on anything. Sure. <laughs> so here's to some help getting to these children, even though, um, you know, John, at the end of the day, what is happening in these camps is despicable, immoral, un-American, and shameful beyond belief. I, you know, and I until cannot... that stopped, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, until this is really stopped, and these children are reunited with their families. This, this is still an incredibly problematic issue for the country. Yeah, and you know there can't be any um, greater agreement that I have. Um, you know, it's one of those things that um, we've talked about plenty of times, and we know that. Um, it probably doesn't need to happen. Folks that are trying to apply for asylum, which are what most of these folks end up doing, um, they're going through the system, so they will show up. I think it's, you know, the last statistics I saw is that it's uh, mid-70s, high 70% of the people who um, apply for asylum um, end up showing up for their follow-up appointments. So, you know, I think the argument is just isn't there. Um, And, you know, whether Mexico is going to, you know, deal with the asylum issue and we know that it's there, um, no matter what, we can't end up treating people that way. Um, At least our government can't. And, uh, you know, that's 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 the way I feel as an American. And we are not caring about what's going on there. So, you know, it will be more along our borders the more that we don't do something about where they're coming from. And we've talked about this on this podcast plenty of times. Um, But as long as we keep ignoring what's happening in Central America, this is going to continue to happen. And, you know, folks might say, well, it's Trump's bluster turned down immigration. And then now uh, people are realizing nothing's happening. So they're just flooding here. Um, you know, there's stuff we could do about it a long time ago. And um, hopefully if they do show up at the border, we, we, we handle it with a little bit more compassion. Uh, after all, we are the richest country in the world. We should be able to figure a way to deal with this besides um, kind of being a little xenophobic and, and just saying we just don't want anybody here. And um, again, it's it, it is another sad time in our in our in, in our current political situation, our current historical um pivot point, which, I, you know, I kind of feel like we're at. And the more and more that Trump is here, you kind of feel like this is going to be a pivot point for our country. And, um, you know, really, as I, I've always said, my optimism always says the pivot will be to things better, not to things worse, at least in the long term. So, uh, I, you know, I agree with you. Is the, the much, as much as we can do is what we should be doing. We should be doing as much as we can to help this whole situation, whether it's in Central America, 
in Central America or at our borders. Right. Look, you know, whatever you, you know, you hear, of course, all kinds of conspiracy theories about why many people are coming up here to the border, which I, I say take that, you know, and then some with a grain of salt. Even if some people, you know, you've heard the claim, well, we don't even know if these kids belong to these particular people, if they're their parents. Okay, if even if that's the case, these are still children who have done nothing wrong. And they do not deserve this. And I find it highly ironic, John, and very hypocritical that the same people who are so concerned about the unborn don't seem to give a damn about what's happening to these kids. They're not pro-life at all. And, and frankly, we all know why Trump is doing this. This is to keep his base in line because of the racism. I'm sorry to put it that way. And, you know, the uh, last Republican a... president we had, as flawed as he was, George W. Bush, would never do anything like this. And, and one more thing I want to say on this. When you hear somebody say, well, the Bush and Obama administrations did the same thing. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They did not snatch kids away from their parents. Yes, sometimes if it was a minor child who came to the border illegally, that was another matter. And yes, sometimes these children were held against their will for a temporary period until they could be reunited with their families or, or frankly, deported, especially if they'd broken laws or done other things. So, yeah, and, and you know, I want to. In order to give background to what you're saying, too, is that when the, the most of the separations that happened in the Bush and Obama administrations is when people were going to end up going to jail for felonies that they committed. And so they would have to separate the children. Otherwise, they didn't consider the actual crossing of the border grounds for separation. And that's the big difference in what they're doing now. It's every buddy that comes across they're saying well you're a criminal you need to be separated from your children and that's the big difference it's what criminality is applied to uh, their action just crossing the border wasn't criminal enough in order to separate a family now it is and and that's really the crime that's really the horrible situation here <clears throat> well and to quote a, and i forget the author he's a very smart political writer I think it's Adam Sewer. I, I'm probably not pronouncing his last name correctly. I'm sorry. With we'll the Atlantic, you this who time. basically, ha, ha, well, I would advise everybody to to look it up. But basically, the headline was something of the, to this to this effect: the cruelty is the point, mm -hmm. and that's why the right. Trump administration is doing this. Um, all I can say is, you know, if people are concerned about this and how these kids are treat, being treated, you know, they need to be contacting their congressional reps and demanding that this stop. And I realize there are limits to that, but yeah, every sure. bit of public pressure matters right and, now. And, you know, and you, we have to understand that if they, or at least I think the GOP, the Trumpites, the Trumpkins, whatever you want to call them, uh, the idea is uh, deterrence will deter. Um, uh, verbal deterrence will stop it. Um, actual throwing people into centers will deter them. Building a wall will deter them. Um, all this is going on. They hear about it before they ever get there, too. They're, they don't live in a bubble where they're not hearing what's going on. But regardless, leaving the situations that they're in is better and and putting up with these migrant centers is still better than staying where they are. And when that's the situation, then you really have to wonder, what is the world doing? What is the United States doing as being the real policymaker for North America and South America for the Americas period? What are we doing ignoring that fact? 
that you can threaten, you can separate, you can build a wall, but people still want to come here because it needs it is so horrible where they're at because there's death squads. You just you don't you don't have a choice. I think they think, well, hell, it's going to be a 50-50 chance whether I ever make it to the United States, but there's probably a 70% chance that I'm not going to make it to 50 years old if I stay here or I have no choice and I'm going to be sick sick and or dead. Um, and, and those are the choices that you have to make in those situations. And where are we worrying about that? And that's that's constantly what I go back to, because people aren't immigrating because they're leaving paradise. And and and, well, and, and right. it's not just a better paradise here. You know, people want to stay with their families. They want to stay with their culture and history. I mean, they might have had, you know, everybody's got grandparents and, and, and things that have done in, in, in other areas. People don't leave those unless there's real valid reasons to do so. Correct. I mean, I, you know, the only other thing I have to say on this, you know, just extraordinarily disgusting and tragic situation right now, and it comes from Joy Reid, who's a far savvier than I can ever be on national affairs. Don't sell yourself, uh, she, sure, course, Karen. The, she, well, thank you. She's the MSNBC anchor. Uh, you know, I had a tweet from the other day. I know, Twitter. This is where it comes from. But still, <laughs> I, 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 and this one haunted me She because it was an article from the Daily Beast about how migrant children with PTSD and depression are being confined to a maximum security center in California. You know, another wrinkle in this terrible, uh, terrible situation. She read writes, we are the monster we used to help other countries stand up to. Oh yeah. Um, Let's, um, you know, we could probably talk about this all day, but let's move on to our next topic um, because hopefully, or or maybe one of these other folks will be um, in the executive branch uh, and they might have a ability to change this stuff. There was uh, 20 candidates that debated over two days. Um, uh, It it definitely seemed like there was more fireworks on day two um, and maybe some of the bigger names, although you had Elizabeth Warren on day one. Um, but the Kamala Harris, uh, Joe Biden, um, uh, it, it, really, that's what who, who ended up coming out of that second debate, I think. Um, what did you feel about the whole thing? Because I was kind of torn a little bit. You know, I had been, you know, kind of saying that I thought that Harris had a good chance. Um, I don't know. It seems like uh, that was a real political move on her part. Um, you know, some of those things are coming out in a different light. Um, you know, Joe Biden did look very old. Um, but at the same time, you know, some of those old um, ideas of politics might be good to look back on. Um, you know, I don't know. What were your instincts out of, you know, you know, coming out of the, uh, you know, debate one and then maybe debate two? What did you see as your highlights? Well, and I want to say this, as I usually do when we talk about these things, no one knows anything. We None of us have any idea. And no offense to what you're saying, because you make some very uh, keen observations about that debate, especially with mm-hmm. Senator Kamala Harris and, of course, the former Vice President Biden. Uh, but, you know, it's a long way. First of all, still a long way to sure. the Democratic Convention next year. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, even though and everybody's got to brace themselves for what, unfortunately, God help us all, is going to be a terrible election, mainly because of Donald Trump. Thanks again for nothing, Biff. Thanks, um, thanks for the memories. I, I, yeah. You know, we don't know who's really going to emerge here as the front runner 
um, you know, I remember back in 2004, late 2003, early 2004, everybody thought Howard Dean's going to win the Democratic nomination. Well, he didn't. And we can, Yee-haw. we don't need to go into reasons why. Well, right. It, it's, there were other factors. John Kerry, you know, decent man, won the nomination. Terrible candidate. We all know how that turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. and I just, you know, back in, and even in, I'm 88 for a while. I'm way dating myself here, folks. But there were there was a lot of concern that then Vice President George H. W. Bush was really too wimpy to right, secure right. the Republican nomination for president, and it was going to be Bob Dole's turn. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, who won the the election that year? It right. wasn't Bob Dole. It wasn't Michael Dukakis. It was George H. W. Bush who had an extraordinarily high approval rating until and, he didn't and anymore. And he probably would have won in um, 92 if it, did, if it wasn't for Ross Perot. Well, exactly. Probably he would have, although I, I do think that, that Bill Clinton kind of had enough stardust around him at that time. It might have just put him over the top anyway. But, you know, yeah, we're talking nearly 30 years out now. But yeah. Wait, hey, you, know, one, Karen, you know, one point I wanted to point out to you is, though, at first when you said 88, I was thinking 1888. So I'm, I guess I'm really dead. Oh, <laughs> now, now. Come on. Let's, no, let's I mean, show some respect. I'm for, just showing how old I am, okay? <laughs> no, I know. Uh, you know, may, may the former president rest in peace, of course, and I do mean that. Um, Hallelujah. Look, I think anybody, uh, frankly, I will say this first of all. And with all due respect to nearly everyone running, with the exception of one or two people I won't name, there are too many candidates in this. I agree. Now, that that is not going to doom the Democrats' chances of winning the election next year by any stretch of the imagination. Remember, in 2016, we had, what, 16, 17 Republicans in that train wreck of a primary season in (laughs) which the most despicable human being around emerged (laughs) from it. So, you know, anybody Republicans out there, I think you all better sit this one out about critiquing how Democrats are handling this. Now, that being said, I and I, I, I just think when you've got that many people on a stage, no matter how well they behave, no matter how good of the answers they give or honest they are, it's going to be a bit of a cacophony. Um, I think in general, the candidates mostly behave themselves. We saw the first night, you know, Julio and Castro, the representative from Texas, and of course, Texas and the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio. And honestly, I, you know, you hear from a lot of New Yorkers, what the hell was this guy even doing running? Right. But, um you know, they interrupted a few times, and sometimes for valid reasons, they made some salient points. Uh, I, I, I mean, if you're asking me from the first debate, who I think emerged the strongest to some degree, was uh, there were really maybe two people who did. Uh, I would say Senator Elizabeth Warren, although some people said, well, she was a little too quiet and this and that. I don't think so. I think she gave very salient, strong answers to a lot of questions. I, I think she was smart in how she was positioning herself. And I would say the second person who really did emerge again was Representative Castro. Uh, now, again, we don't know what this man's future holds. Perhaps he could be president or vice president or a, a cabinet secretary in a Democratic presidential administration. But he did, I think, do a good job at distinguishing himself from the pack. I, I would say Cory Booker also performed quite strong. He's the senator from New Jersey, as did Senator Amy Klobuchar. Right. I think Jay Inslee definitely was winning the debate about climate change, no question yeah. about it. This right. man is very knowledgeable on it. It's a it's a strong point for him. 
Beto O'Rourke, the representative from Texas, who has certainly gotten a lot of attention over the last few years, won for nearly beating Ted Cruz. And yes, he lost, but still, he came closer than any Democrat has done in decades for a state race there, which is nothing to sneeze at. Some people said he's too quiet, he seemed too subdued, and I think that may have been on purpose by him to look somewhat somber and look like the serious adult in the room. And not to say others weren't acting like that. They were. But given kind of the celebrity attention around him, you know, in his past, he was in a rock band, Uh uh, you know, very eccentric kind of background and one where he got in trouble for drunk driving and, you know, not dismissing that. Although, you know, last time I checked, he's not really getting busted for driving drunk these days. So, okay, people can change. (laughs) Uh, I I would say those were the ones who made a positive impact. I I think, frankly, John Delaney of Maryland, no. Uh, Tim Ryan, you know, I would like to tell him, uh, calling everybody but people in your states in the Midwest elitist, not a good idea for winning over voters. Yeah elsewhere in the country. Maybe you want to dial that down. Tulsi Gabbard, although I will say, and I am no fan of hers, she did make some very good points about the military. And And she's a veteran. You know, she, and she, she's walked the walk and talked the talk as, as did. Now, I'm sorry, we're leaving out Pete Buttigieg, Mayor, Mayor Pete, who was in that first debate. And he had a rough week. He did. He did. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm right. He was in the first debate, correct? I don't. Yeah. He wasn't, or was he in the second? I'm. I, you know, there are so many people. Yeah, he was in the first one. He was in the first one. I say Mayor Pete overall did pretty well. I I think unfortunately his the controversial issue regarding his his tenure as mayor and the police department. I'm really sorry for the coughing, everyone. Um. I think he's going to have to work on oh, that. He was in the second one, and so that, those are my those are my takes from the first night of this. See, and, and there I got I got I, I just want to jump in and say I was wrong about Booty Judge. He was he was actually in the second debate, um, but then again, so like you sorry. mentioned, no, I, no, it's my fault here. I was I was all sure that it was the first one, um, and again, I, and, and I think that kind of plays out to the you know a little bit of the as you mentioned the overwhelming feeling of of trying to keep all this together. Um, you know, but what I really got out of out of out of this is that the front runners are still the front runners. I don't think anybody's really made enough and and really kind of jumped up enough. There doesn't seem to be any magic yet. Or you know, I agree with you on there. that. I, you know, I absolutely agree. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think we're still with the Biden, Harris, Warren, um, and and you know, I think you know, you know, Mayor Pete's just got this built-in kind of Midwest veteran. Um, you know, the gay community probably loves him because just because he's one of theirs, which is great. Um, but you know, you need more than that. And I think he might be ready. And, you know, I think there's, you know, some of these things we had talked about, I think in our last podcast about how early on, it's just to kind of getting your name out there. It might be that you'll come back in 10 years, 12 years. And especially for these young folks, like I think Mayor Pete's got a mm-hmm. really great future politically ahead of him if he wants it. You know, at some point he might just get tired of this crap. But um, if he wants it, it's there for him. And I think early on it's going to be there for him. Even Tulsi Gabbard, I think she's got, you know, that, you know, multi-decade future um, in front of them, um, which you can play that. But I think, you know, the real players in 2020 are going to be those names that we already know. It's either going to be Biden, uh, Harris, Warren, Booker. 
Um, you know, I, I really think that that's where it is. And, and, you know, there might be somebody else that comes out of it, but those are the ones with enough. And we talked about on our last podcast too, it's, I still see it as, you know, uh, you know, political idol, you know, that's, that's the, the kind of political, uh, atmosphere we live in now. The environment is definitely like a reality show. And the reason why Trump, it was even able to get the, the Republican nomination is because there were so many, um, uh, uh, candidates out here, uh, out there last, you know, in, in 2016, that he sailed along with that 15% for the first several months. Um, I don't think that'll play out here. Um, and if it does, it's going to really go to Biden um, being able to survive until that period of time where people have a choice between him and a few others. And when they start dropping out, it's going to be quick and fast. And we're going to get from 20 to five um at some point within two weeks uh three weeks it's all going to happen at once they're all going to drop faster than um you know shaquille uh, o'neal slamming a a basketball um (laughs) but you know but it's going to come fast (laughs) well you know i i just again you again i i'm not disagreeing with what you're saying i just i think again it is simply too early to really know who's going to emerge here and who's going to be on that stage Next year at the Democratic Convention, I believe they're in South Carolina, and I might be getting that wrong. Sorry again, everybody, if I am. Um, I I mean, I think after the second debate, which, of course, you know, the elephant in the room is the former vice president. I I will say I just don't think that Joe Biden had the best night. Obviously, he completely botched the answers on busing. Um, He's got to do better. That's all there is to it. He's already got, there's just a lot of sort of pushback that's emerging against him. I'm not saying it's all his fault. Look, the man did a good job as vice president in general. He is a decent person who means well. He is not a piece of trash like Donald Trump is, but he also has a history. And with that history comes questionable votes, uh, some very stupid things that he said over the years. And he's going to have to find a way to, to come to terms with that and better explain it to the American people. I, I do. I would say the star of the night, and you're, you're hearing me use this word, doesn't mean she's going to get the nomination next year. But without question, the star of, of Thursday night was Senator Harris. She, you know, you, you watch this woman talk and you have no doubt if she were in a, in a debate with Donald Trump, uh, she'd kick his fat rear end even worse than Hillary Clinton did. And that's, you know, that's telling you something. Uh, this yeah, woman is you know, she's incredibly dynamic. sharp. Oh, yeah, she's dynamic. She's sharp. I mean, uh, um, you know, we know that those issues are going to be there. And I don't know if you've, we've seen that, you know, I think the Trump campaign also knows how how um, how vulnerable they would be to a to a candidate like Kamala Harris. And, yeah, um, you know, now considerable. Yeah. yeah, you know, Don Jr. had a had a tweet during the debate saying, oh, she's not really American black. She's uh, oh, uh, uh, half Indian and half Jamaican American, <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, there's some corners saying they're going to try to start a new birther, you know, type controversy. Um, but what Kamala Harris yeah. is to me, uh-huh. what you know, what she is to me as a human being, a very smart human being. A very tough yet, I think, caring and sensitive person. Um, you know, generally, I mean, I don't know her personally, but as as somebody, I think that can feel that. I mean, I've, you know, I, I just, I just feel like she's got the it factor this time. And if there's anybody that I'd like to see, um, you know, at least right now, my early money's on her. Um, you know, just to jump back with the Joe Biden thing, I really have to say that I think it was. 
you know, for as much as I think that Biden, his time has passed. And I think that he had to come back now because if he didn't, um, you know, he should have run um, in 2016. You know, he shouldn't have taken the bait that Hillary threw out there. You know, they all should have just gone out there and done their thing. And I know he was going through some personal stuff and it was kind of hard for him at the time. And a lot of the other elements were there. But, you know, because of those things happened, he had to run in 2020 in order to make whoever comes out of this really be supported by everybody and for everybody to have their back and no, no, you know, games like last time with what happened with Bernie and, and, and Hillary and, and the whole Green Party. And that's a whole different you know discussion on what happened with the right. Russian disinformation to keep people from voting for Democrats. However, you know, I don't I just don't see him making that connection. But what, what I, I do have to say is that some of that stuff about busing or what's been going on and, and it starts to go back to the same thing that we start hearing where people are digging through people's past. Um, uh, you know, Kate Smith, God bless America is no longer being played things. And and I think we have to take these things in in the air. Eras that they were in. Um, I I don't necessarily like God Bless America. I don't think it should be played at every baseball game. I just think it's kind of silly. We're there to watch baseball, not be patriotic. But for a lot of different reasons. But I still can appreciate that for what it is. It's the same discussion on Bill Cosby. Is are his comedy bits still funny? Because now you found out that he was a date raper, and and you know it's just the way I see it. Um, but I can separate art. And I can separate politics or the past and those bubbles that people lived in at different parts of, you know, just like I can, I can want, I can listen to Lenny Bruce and still laugh. I can listen to George Carlin bits from the sixties, even though it's not really topical. Um, it has its place. And I think the same thing with Biden. I really think he was being tarred for something that the, you know, when you need a bill to pass, you have to get anybody to get them to, you know, to pass them. I do think his stand on it not be federal busing, I think is wrong. And, and it was wrong then, and it's wrong now. Um, not to say, well, it's got to be the city council, because what if your city council is run by a bunch of racists? You need the federal government to come in. The same thing would have happened in you know Alabama. I mean, everybody knows, or those who know what happened with George Wallace, and that they needed the federal government to come in to integrate these schools. They weren't going to do it locally. And, you know, it, it was... It, you know, whether that's a mistake or not, he needs to own up to it. But some of the other things, I think, to really kind of tie him in, you know, that was a, that, that's at least a philosophical debate that he had at a certain period of time. But to, to, to judge on the other part, everything gets lumped in together. And in our, in our soundbite world where people don't really look at it, they can't even separate that. So I think for a lot of folks, it's really been pulled away and that some folks now just think that Biden's a racist and he's got to fight against that. And that and that whole part of it is is the horrible part of our political system. Um, and the last little point before I turn the floor back over to you is, I, I you know, I just, you know, we have to move, um, you know, beyond some of these kind of, you know, takedowns. Um, and, and that was the one thing that I thought that, you know, Harris played right into it. I think that, you know, later she tried to backtrack and say, I really respect Biden for what he's done. I like him. Well, you didn't really seem that way out there. And you could say that when you're making these these quick hits against them. You know, you can really clarify it and make it seem like that. And, you know, I just think it's the credibility of running for these offices. And, and you know, unfortunately, I know we have to play the games. The same thing like Biden needs these votes. He has to do what he has to He had to do what he had to do back then um, is 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 what we need to do now. Um, but, you know, I know folks don't want to lose elections. And if they think that that's going to win them one, they'll do it. Um, but, you know, there's got to be that moral center somewhere. And I think we all need to find it. Um, 
so you know i i really took away a little bit mm-hmm. of a negative um from harris uh, from the uh, debate because of that. I really think she played on half-truths a lot to really kind of tar somebody. But I think she knows what she, the you know the battle she's fighting is that black women are in the polls were supporting Biden and not her. And, and I think that was an approach at this first debate is we got to pull some of these um, ladies away to support us. And, 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 and I think on that level, it'll probably work. You know, only time will tell. I, I think as for the rest of the, you know, you make a lot of good points. I, you know, I want to just say as for the rest of the candidates that were there Thursday night, I, I, you know, Senator Bernie Sanders, who I, at this time, he was a, little again, invisible. a lot can change between now and December and now in July of next year. You know, he it just feels like his star is fading well, here yeah, and, 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 a lot. He is really not doing what he should and do be you breaking think it's out of the because, pack. And, and do you think it's because, though, he's one of the ones where before he was the only one talking about Medicare for all. He's the only one really talking about absolving college debt. And now you have multiple candidates who are also supporting the same thing. So once you take that 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 bright, shiny thing away and you give it to everybody else, he's not so shiny. Right, and that's the thing. Yes, he he pushed a lot of other candidates more to the left, but and I I almost think to some degree that this may be still some bad feelings on the part of Democrats who are Hillary Clinton supporters. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, most of them I'd say ninety nine percent. If he were the nominee next year, we'll pull the lever for him happily to get rid of the cancer that's in the White House right now. Uh, that being said, I think Sanders has to do a better job of winning these people over, and he's not doing it. I, I just did not particularly – I wasn't impressed by his uh, performance. I hate to call it a performance, but I, as I have been in past debates, um, I, you know, follow – just a few other observations here. I mean, Senator Gillibrand, I – again, I, you know, she's very earnest. I appreciate all the work she has done, uh, you know – to, to bring the focus on how, you know, sexual harassment, uh, you know, has affected women and especially in the military. Uh, I just I I just don't think she did anything to really distinguish herself. Frankly, I don't know what Senator Bennett, even though many of us were impressed by the highly impassioned speech he gave earlier this year in the Senate. <clears throat> excuse me, against, you know, on disaster relief and the Trump administration's indifference towards it for certain places like, say, Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, but I, I just don't, I don't see where he's going to get a lot of traction. Frankly, well, I don't know what the former Colorado governor Hinkenlooper is doing, even running. This is a guy who could be running against Cory Booker, or not Booker, I'm sorry, Gardner. Cory Gardner, right, right. who's already the most endangered senator, the Republican from Colorado. A lot of people don't like him, but he could get reelected without a strong enough Democratic contender. Hinkenlooper uh-huh. would be that. Right, right. So, and, and as, you know, as for... Eric Swalwell, the representative from California, a smart guy. But again, I, I just, you know, I don't see it happening for him. Yeah, and run as for, for Marianne a, Williams, run for a I'm toss-up sorry? House seat or something, right? That you know, I mean, run, run for Senate. Right, you know, when right. Diane Feinstein retires, sure. you win easily. I could tell him that. Um, I was going to say, just you know, Marianne Williamson and Andrew Yang. I, I, I no, I'm sorry, just no. I, I. And I, I think, frankly, Yang probably would have more of a reason to run for president than Williamson would. But I I simply just don't see them attracting. And again, I might be proven wrong. And if I am, 
I will happily admit on this podcast, I don't <laughs> see either one of them breaking out of the pack here anytime soon. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and, so, and uh, you know, I think that's what, for maybe our first time listeners uh, to this podcast, you can understand, we gladly uh, uh, offer up mea culpas when we uh, uh, oh, yep. air. Uh, so it just doesn't happen very often now, does it? Um, oh, anyway, seriously. Well, uh, maybe for you, <laughs> but not for me. <laughs> Okay, mea culpa. I make mistakes all the time. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next one, just because we spent a lot of time with these candidates. We know that there's several debates coming up, um, and you know we'll see who drops out. And I agree with you on this. Uh, yeah. You know, these folks need to leave and go do other things because there's a lot of good candidates up there, but not all for president. Um, right. The uh, Robert Mueller um, got subpoenaed. Agreed to come, Andrew Weissman. Some of the other folks are going to come in closed session. Um, big deal, uh, at least to me. I think it's going to really move the needle, whether it moves it enough that uh, impeachment is um, uh, up, even brought up um, to be voted on and then approved. I don't know um, where we're going to end up being. Um, you know, what are you seeing it as? It does seem like there's a lot there. Um, that there's going to be, you know, it being in public is going to be a big deal. Um, and then I guess on the same time, I want you to answer um, what a lot of the GOPers are saying is that it is going to be worse for them because then we're going to bring up all these other things. Um, even you saw Trump uh, then saying that uh, Mueller deleted strokes and uh, strokes and, and, and pages emails which or text messages, which I don't know whether there's any truth to it. No one's even really, there's too many other errors going on for people to really dig that up. Um, you know, but a lot going on there. How are you seeing it? And do you really see that there's going to be any GOP uh, win here? I mean, they're planning off that they're going to win already. Um, and maybe that's just trying to be a self-fulfilling prophecy to their base. But how do you see this playing out? Well, okay. First and foremost, the Republicans to claim that somehow this is going to, you know, absolve their dear leader of any wrongdoing. That is beyond delusional. Well, I don't know if they're saying that it's going to absolve them. I think they're saying that we're going to attack you so much that no one will pay attention. But again, John, the point of them doing that is because they think it's going to absolve Trump. That's what I'm saying. And they're wrong. Good point. They're fucking wrong. Excuse my French. (laughs) Oh, Karen. Look. I'm sorry, guys. I just look. We'll, we'll beep that out. What, what, one quick observation I have, first of all, for starters, is that you notice when the, the Democrats subpoenaed Mueller, he didn't fight it. He didn't get any lawyers. He didn't make a fuss about it. He consented to testify. He respected the rule of law and, and the demands of, of policy norms and what is best for this country. Whatever else, what other other flaws he may have shown in producing this report, here is a man who does give a damn about the institution, even though I think to some degree some of that belief on his part in terms of dealing with this horrendously corrupt administration was naive. And I take no pleasure in saying that, given the incredible pedigree and history of Mr. Mueller. Um, I, look, I think anybody expecting any grand fireworks that they're going to, you know, dun, 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 here's the smoking gun and Trump's the traitor we all thought he was, that's not going to be there. What this does ultimately is that it puts it out on TV before a large audience. And many people who have not been paying attention, they're going to start paying attention. I'm not saying they're all going to turn around and say, yeah, Trump's terrible, I want him to teach. But... It definitely gets people thinking, do we really want this guy for another four years? 
do we really even want him for another year in office? Don't we want him held accountable? Don't we want hearings to start? And if by some chance Trump's name's fully cleared by that, okay. Uh, then we all, you know, have to acknowledge that and just try to move on with this monstrosity remaining in the White House. Nothing more to be done on that. But I think, again, this, this puts this out there for discussion. And Mueller is one of the central figures in all of this. People are going to pay attention to it. And I, I found, you know, the White House's original response to be very tepid and quiet. And I don't know about you, that, that kind of gave the impression is that they're scared of this. They know this isn't, it may not end up with Trump being taken out in handcuffs. Nobody believes that. But it's not going to be good for him. It simply continues the narrative about this, that this man most likely obstructed justice to hide what was really going on in terms of how he won the Electoral College in 2016 and all the people who covered it up for him. And I think, again, you see Mueller being willing to go before the Congress and speak, whereas Hope Hicks had to have, what, 20 lawyers with her? Couldn't even answer where her office was? You know, these are not, this is not a person, and I'm talking about Hope Hicks and everybody else who are cronies in this despicable inner circle who want to tell the truth and do the right thing for this country. They don't give two shits about this, that this is about protecting them and Trump. Uh, I, I don't think Mueller's going there to do protect Trump. I don't think he's, you know, going there necessarily to put him in the stocks either. He's probably just going to ask her questions about what's in his, in the Mueller report. But again, when people hear that, when they see it, it's 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 just going to start. It's going to start a whole new movement in a sense of what is it that we want done here? And if we've got somebody who has broken the law over and over and over again. You know, if he can do this, then anyone can. Is that what we want for the country? And that's a heavy question to ask. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't expect it to, again, it's not going to be where Donald Trump just suddenly admits he's terrible and quits. We should all be so lucky. Unlike Richard Nixon, he doesn't have the slightest bit of respect for this country or anything else to do that. Yeah. Um, now, and I, again, I'm saying this because there's so much, if you've read this report, I'm talking not just you, but I'm sure you have, or anybody out there. You're getting, there's overwhelming evidence Trump broke the law. And I'm sorry, that's just how it is. And of course, if this were a Democratic president, it wouldn't even have gone this far. That Democrat would have been out of office within six months, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been hearing, or one of the bits that came out today, I think uh, Joe DeGeneva, who was, um, I, I think, an attorney for Trump for like a few days and yeah. is probably doing some other um, uh, consulting work for whomever, um, you know, he was out there saying that what he is seeing as might actually spur impeachment is Weissman testifying the day after on the 18th. Um and I don't, you know, I don't know if you've been hearing it, but it's really hard to to find. I think on on the uh, mainstream uh, uh, television networks um, because I don't know whether anybody's been able to corroborate it, you know, fully enough. Um, but that supposedly Weissman drafted a three page uh, obstruction of justice indictment on Donald Trump, and that it's floating out there. Um, I saw um, a Michael Wolf on an Australian. Um, uh, a t- a television show, and he supposedly says he actually has the indictment that he got from a source um, that he was able to um, um, uh, 
confirm that it's actually true um, and that that they had done it and and who knows nobody really knows the details of of why it wasn't actually filed or what happened to it or what the discussion was um, you know but if that's there and that starts coming out and we start hearing about these other bits too I really think it plays completely differently and and it almost becomes draft elements of impeachment I would think if there's actually a legal indictment um, but you know that's a I think an interesting part then and and something that I don't think is being discussed very much because again I don't think there's any corroboration to it but if if true if um, testified um, to its veracity in Congress whether you know behind closed doors or in public I think that's also a big game changer Oh, again, absolutely. Look, one of the reasons the the numbers for impeachment of Trump are not higher is because for the reason we've already said, most people have not read the Mueller report. They haven't paid attention to it. But, you know, back when Iran-Contra first broke, a lot of people were not informed on that. Mm, right, and then right, the televised right. the hearings in, began in the summer of 87. Yeah. And granted, you know, the, the chances of Ronald Reagan having been impeached and, and convicted and removed for that were slim to none. And, and, the, and the, you know, he ended and, up staying yeah. in the presidency, but in the long run, it damaged his legacy, <laughs> yeah, for, you know, you know, obvi- it, you know, strongly it did. And I get this is just I, I just was going to say, I, I think Republicans expecting that this is really going to benefit Trump. Uh, yeah, you know, they're wrong. They're flat out wrong. You know, the uh, you you just you just you know created a a, a string for me between uh, uh, Don Jr. and Ronald Reagan, and the same reason that uh, Reagan wasn't impeached was because they just figured he was too incompetent to actually keep up with it, um, because that's really was the whole defense. I didn't know anything about it. They did it on their own. Um, and that's kind of why Donald Trump Jr. can't be charged with collusion, is, uh, you know, Mueller says. He, he's just too stupid, <laughs> or he just didn't know yeah, enough. I mean, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, Don Jr. is, is just a, a soulless egomaniac, just like his dad. And that, if, you know, any other person would be a, been profoundly insulted by that. You're too stupid to even indict. But that's the caliber of people they are. And I guess, you know, you know, um, dating you know, Kimberly Guilfoyle, if that's not evidence enough. Um, but that, again, no. what, you know, what does that tell you about Gavin Newsom? So uh. I well, <laughs> I just again, look, any look, anything could happen with this. I've, I've already you know explained where I think this is going to land in the long run. It's not going to be good for Trump. Um, and you know, any Joseph DeGeneva is a hack, and, and frankly, his opinion counts for nothing. So, um, well, we'll, you know, just, I, we'll I, have to I, watch I, and listen. And I think a lot of people are going to be doing that on the seventeenth. They're going to be watching and listening and following, you know, via Twitter or on live stream or what have you. And that's all for the good. The yeah. more people who truly know what's going on here with this, the better. Yes, and, and you know, before we quickly move on to the next topic, you know, the one thing I was pointing out with with De Geneva is that I think that he's right that the the information is that 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 maybe folks in Congress and the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees are really going to jump on is going to be that closed door testimony from the rest of Mueller's team. I really do think that 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 Mueller will stick to the four corners out there. He's going to he's he might jump between here and there. Just having him talk about these things are going to be good, but maybe having. Uh, Weissman talk about the actual indictment that they drafted. Um, any other information yeah. that's there, like we have talked about on this podcast before, that the pressure was put on Manafort and Stone in order to flip on whoever in the campaign was really colluding, and they dec- and they d- you know took jail over that. 
Um, I, you know, I think all those other little bits are really going to play out. And that actually might be the bigger day for impeachment within the Congress, not in public opinion. I think public opinion, you're right, is the Mueller testifying day. But as far as getting um, enough of these uh, Congress people to move it forward, that'll be day two with the staff. Um, and, 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 and who knows, though, exactly how it's going to play out. But like you said, we're all going to have our popcorn instead of the summer of Ollie North. We might have the summer of Robert Mueller and Andrew Weissman. Who knows? Um, well, again, just the other thing I'll say, you know, again, uh, to the, the Trump people, you really thought this thing was going to go away in 2017? You really thought so? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, you know, the spin room was open for the Republicans for sure. I mean, you know, that's what they wanted, but who knows if they're going to get it. Speaking of that, uh, Trump at the G20. Um, okay. So what do we have? Uh, potential uh, DMZ meeting with uh, Trump and Kim. We had Trump laughing off uh, a, a Russian election meddling with Putin. Um, we've had maybe that uh, China and the United States are going to get back to the economic discussion table. Um, but again, kind of a dud, kind of a uh, flat line from the Trump administration. Nothing seems to be accomplished except he feels like he's hobnobbing with world leaders and good for him. Um, he could talk about it on the golf course, but what is he doing for the American people? Uh, how are you feeling about this G20? I mean, he's, what, 11 months from him saying, I don't know why it would be Russia. Um, and here we got him laughing it off. That, to me, was the worst part. I guess I guess the, the, the roadshow of horrors, um, the biggest scare show was him laughing it off with Putin. Well, it was also him basically claiming, oh, he was so upset about Jamal Khashoggi's murder. Oh, yes, of course, I we know he couldn't one. care yes. less about that. Um, and then, but then, and then, you know, ducking questions about, you know, then claiming that, well, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman had right, nothing right, to do with it. Right. When there have been numerous reports from intelligent agencies saying otherwise, um, you know, of course, because unfortunately, because Trump is this just horrible egomaniac who has to make everything about him. You know, I think some other interesting things that happened, his making a fool out of himself as usual was and of course the fact that that Putin made you know some really despicable remarks about how liberalism is dying and you know I, I'm sorry right, I don't think yeah. most people care what Vladimir Putin's opinion is on Western democracy and their discussion given, about journalists as well wasn't very yeah, nice yeah yeah exactly and and the, just the brutal things that have been happened to journalists in Russia since he's been leader of the country for twenty very long miserable years um, I, I will say it was interesting other than Trump. All the G20 leaders were in line with Emmanuel Macron of France about needing to do more about the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, there was also a commitment to stop adding plastic waste pollution to the world's oceans by 2050. That's still too long, but better than nothing. Uh -huh. I, I, I just don't I, look again. How many more times need to be said? Nobody who has a, a great a, a, a shred of integrity takes Donald Trump seriously. You can tell most of those world leaders don't like him, don't respect him. They don't want to be around him. And by the way, what was his daughter doing there? Last time I checked, Ivanka Trump was not elected to anything. And let's not kid ourselves. If, if, if President Hillary Clinton had brought his daughter along to play that kind of role, there would have been nonstop screaming 
on, on cable news and Republicans going ballistic. And to some degree, they wouldn't be wrong. I right. wouldn't want Chelsea Clinton doing something like that. Sure. I didn't vote for her to be in office. Well, the same reason uh, all that blowback way, happened you know, to Hillary in 92, when she, in 93, when she was trying to do health care. That's right. And, you know, they, you know, the Clintons paid a price for that yeah, politically, sure no did. question about it. And it'd be, but, uh, but doesn't it play back to that um, the GOP just doesn't care as long as, as as Trump is president? It's, you know, I mean, we talk about it over and over again. They say that, hey, you can't, um, you're spending too much. Well, okay, here we go. Let's uh, in, in, increase our national debt. It seems like nothing influences uh the gop to stop uh no they, they don't care you know they're, it's they're, blind they're eye as long as he's president so yeah so the gop is perfectly fine with this kind of criminality as long as it gets them their judges and uh you know keeps the base in line and doesn't turn on them so that's all they give two craps about i mean basically you know trump at this at, and to go back to him for a moment even though you know it wasn't just about him there were legitimate issues that were discussed here he just wasn't a serious player in them but you know you mentioned that another thing i found amusing is that he backed down on his whole threat and tariff war with china um you know this is and i suspect because advisors if he listens to any of them said if the economy crashes next year you are toast Stop this now. So you don't, the economy doesn't go into recession. And there's still a chance it may anyway. Uh, You know, he screwed things up so badly in terms of the economic relations between us and China with this. It's not even funny. Uh, But it's just, it's kind of amusing. And it shows what a chicken shit he is. You know, he backed off again. Uh, just like he backed off, and I and I look. Let's be glad it didn't come to that. But he backed off on attacking Iran. Of course, lied about that. Right. Uh, and mainly because I suspect Putin called him and said, "You're going to stop this now." Yeah, please don't. Again, this is not somebody who who answers to the American people. He answers to somebody else, which is vile Whomever. enough as it is. And but I don't know if we really even know who he answers to. Um, but, well, I, it sure as hell not us, but it, it, it doesn't matter. Trump, frankly, made a lot of noise at this. Nobody took him seriously. He certainly did nothing to help the relations with our allies. You know, I mean, he brought nothing to the table. We've I mean, had other presidents, including Republicans ones, who've gone to these G20 summits or when they were a lesser number back then and actually made a positive difference. Donald Trump didn't do that. So don't, so, don't we know. see that uh, Trump's... Um, uh, is still acting like a New York developer. And he, he's trying to be president and be a New York developer. And so even when he goes into these situations, he goes, okay, I'm going to threaten him with the worst possible thing that can happen, and then maybe I'll get something out of it. I'll get a concession out of him. And that's his whole, he, that's his one trick. It's like he doesn't have another trick. It's, okay, uh, I'm going to threaten you with annihilation. So between annihilation and the deals we had before, I'll find something that'll get, you know, um, you know, get something out of you. And, and if you are anybody who's astute enough and, and you don't think that these smart folks like Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and, uh, Angela Merkel and, um, uh, Macron and, uh, even Theresa May, if they don't see this and they do, everybody knows you just go, well, forget you, and he's not going to make the worst deal because then that means he goes back, and he's not going to want to do that. It is so um, just, just, just clearly um, amateur hour um, as far as diplomacy goes. 
um, that, it, you know, I mean, maybe he could he, you know, build some things in New York, but even there, I'm sure he got taken, as we know that he did. Um, because it's, it's, it's even amateur hour as far as being a New York developer is concerned. It's, it's just the most simple and basic negotiating and, and trying to get concessions out of folks. And it's, it, it, it's, and it's really an embarrassment um, to United States diplomacy, which used to be subtle, um, used to be efficient, used to be kind of usually clear um, because if, if you're standing on the position of right, you don't really have to manipulate. You don't have to threaten. You don't have to cajole. You beat people with the truth and with honesty. And, 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 and you know, that's the way America was, at least post-war. At least we tried to be when we could. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and having, having an approach of, you know, threaten to get some concessions just doesn't work. And, and it's an embarrassment. Well, we don't look, we don't have a legitimate president right now. We have a mafia thug who thinks he's smarter than everybody else when he's the dumbest person in the room always. <laughs> and this is just what it's going to remain. Unfortunately, unless Trump is somehow removed from office between now and the next G20 summit and other foreign summits where he's going to go and again defy all those, uh, you know, for, forums and uh, just make a fool out of the country and, you know, about himself too. Yeah, that's just how it is. This is reality. So. Um, well, again, I, I think I think unfortunately the United States standing in the world because of this man has been greatly diminished. I I you know I will feel for the new president, whoever that is. We hope in 2021, and they're having to try to fix this, and they're not. You know, it's going to be very difficult. Well, let's move on to our next uh, topic here. Um, there, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has left um, the White House uh, officially now, mm-hmm. um, taking her place as Stephanie Grisham, who a lot of people don't know anything about. They just, you know, usually the throwaway line um, on the uh, national news and even in newspapers at this point has been um, she comes over from Melania Trump's um, uh, side, the East Wing, and she's now going to be the press secretary. Um a lot of people don't know that she's really got, you know, she's not from Arizona originally, but this is where she made her her, her PR marketing, um, government relations, um, you know, where, where she cut her teeth. Um, uh, Tom Horn, House of, the House of Representatives, State House of Representatives, uh, Tom Horn was Secretary of State at the time. Um, some, some, you know, she ended up uh, instituting background checks to keep people out. Looks like a lot of retribution against journalists. Um, really, uh, you know, two DUIs, um, you know, really a kind of a, a, a sordid history here. And, and, and somebody's really willing to take that, you know, the stick to the media. And for anybody who thinks that, you know, it's the end of an era, it looks like it's, it's the, um, you know, you went from um, um, uh, Mussolini to, uh, to uh, Hitler here. Um, you know, I hate to compare anybody there, but, um, I mean, you know, maybe I misspoke. Maybe I should have a better one. But, you know, we're talking about the aliens from Venus to the aliens from Mars. Um, you know, maybe that works better. Huh. But, um, you know, it's a situation where, you know, it looks like they're cut from the same cloth and maybe even more so. You've had somebody who's really tried to ban journalists from, um, you know, covering a governmental body in the past, whether it's on the state level or not. And it doesn't seem like that's going to change. And, um, you know, I, it's just interesting to see, you know, how this whole whole thing has played out. Um, and if you read, uh, there's a great article that we'll put up with this podcast um, that the, uh, the Arizona Republic or AZ Central did, kind of outlining her past. And while she's running for Trump's campaign, she's you know you know missing her court dates for her DUIs and ended up paying fines. She ended up doing a day. Um, you know, it just seems like 
know, things were so important. She was moving up the political ladder. She ended up setting up this, you know, we had somebody cover it for Modern Times in 2016 here in Mesa. Trump was here. It really went off well. It was a hangar thing. And from there, it looks like she got on the plane with Trump. He was so happy with her. And she rarely has ever come back. He, like, kind of picked her up and said, you did a great job. We're going to do this all over the place. So she's not really from Melania. I mean, she was there for the first couple of years. Um but she really is part of that whole campaign. She's a Trumpite through and through. He obviously has made her career. She's going to be one that's going to defend him and maybe ban journalists or do whatever she needs to do in order to 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 to, to make her her client, I guess, um, in, in, which is not the American people, but now the president, look better. Scary. Yeah, I'm not impressed with her record at all. Um, you know, I... I, I I would hope that she wouldn't be quite as brazen as Sarah Huckabee Sanders was in terms of lying to both the uh, the credible news media and just to the American public at large. Um, but nothing in her record gives me any confidence she's going to be a truly responsible, respectful press secretary. Because look at who she's working for. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, and and she, I have a funny feeling that she's not going to be in this job for very long. You know, and she I was might even be a, wrong on that. But. Well, somebody, it seems like, you know, personally, she aligned herself to, you know, Democratic uh, ideals. 97, I think she voted as a Democrat is what they're showing. And then she didn't really vote again, you know. And then she got hired by yeah. Republicans. And then all of a sudden she, she switched because they were paying the bills. And, you know, re- requiring background checks for journalists who are going to cover things. Um you know, banning uh, news organizations because you don't like the coverage that they're giving you. And that was just for the Arizona Capital Times here, which is small. It's really just the state government. Um, They don't really cover anything else besides what goes on in the executive and legislative branches out here, a really small kind of newspaper. But, um, you know, you know, necessary part of that fourth estate here. Um, You know, it's, it's a little concerning. Um, and, you know, no one's ever done that before. And, you know, in the meantime, it's the only reason why I bring up these DUIs. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does these certain things. I mean, you can have half a glass of wine and really get a DUI, especially in Arizona. I mean, you know, the laws are not very open. You better not have anything. And I, and I wouldn't want to speak to that. But when you're somebody who's banning journalists and wanting to do background checks on them, then your, then your background and your criminal background, I think, becomes fair game. Um, and, and, and that's the only reason why I would bring it up. Usually I, I, I don't, you know, as long as somebody's not, as a, you know, a habitual uh, offender, which, you know, two starts to become habitual. I mean, they were within a couple years of each other. Um, you know, maybe, you know, who knows? Um, but I don't know. But if you start bringing these things up about wanting to find journalist backgrounds, then you have to live with that, too. And, and uh, you know, just they didn't. The uh, after she left, that didn't continue. It was obviously something that was here. It was the way that the you know the speaker at the time, who's now in Congress, um, and you know speaker of the local House of Representatives here in Arizona, and her. There was their approach, um, and it was really the beginning of that whole Trump feeling. And and that's you know really that we're not going to take anything. We're going to fight you know to death you know to tooth and nail. And and it it really ended up being a sad situation. So I just you know I guess. I really push to talk about her on on political profundity today because I just really think it's being lost and people might not understand that this is not like Sarah Huckabee Sanders who came out of nowhere to do this. 
um, you know, Stephanie Grisham has a past, and 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 she's made it clear that 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 she'll dance on that on that uh, on that line of uh, of of you know really hard line you know pseudo fascism um, with really kind of throwing, and and if you don't like you know uh, you know the the journalist covering you, they will bury you or just deny your your ability to cover, and 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 those things just are un-American to me. Yeah, again, I I don't profess to know that much about discretion, but uh, I just, again, they, the, the, the Trump people have found somebody who will just simply do their bidding without any, it seems like, any respect for, for standards or norms or anything else, which will make her a perfect fit. After all, she, you know, worked for Melania Trump, you know, and, and frankly... And I know very little is ever said about the first lady, but she frankly is the, the most useless first lady we've ever had. Uh, and then again, you know, you just, you know, look at her taste in men. That's another problem. So, and, and frankly, she seems every bit the soulless grifter that her husband is. So the fact that, you know, Grisham was working with her tells you all you need to know. Uh, be, I'm sorry. Be great. That's all I... Uh, have to say or, on yeah, that be one. Best so, or whatever her, the, oh, the, sorry, the program yeah. she stole yeah, be, from Michelle Obama, basically. I mean, again, we do not have, there is nobody in this White House that has a shred of of credibility. And that includes Melania Trump. I, I doubt you, Stephanie Grisham will either. Uh, the, I hate to say things like that. I really do. But that is where we are. Uh, and, you know, the last little bit before we get to the Supreme Court, and we're going to talk about that really quickly, is... Um, the, only, the last presidential family to not have a dog um, was, I can't remember. Um, so, you know, that kind of tells you a little bit about the Trumps, I think. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Again, I've said many times, my heart breaks for Barron. It I mean, really does. I mean, the Obamas never had a dog either, but they got one when they were president. So. Well, no, they, they did. I mean, they got a dog named Bo. And, no, I mean, and before I, that. I, look, you know. I, I, there's, there's just leaps and Well, I don't know about their past, but... Again, there's just uh, I can't even begin to stipulate the differences between that first family and this one. It's, I, I mean, the differences are vast enough to fill ten Grand Canyons and more. And that uh, goes for the Bush first family too. Let's jump to uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, interesting week, I think. Um, we know that the gerrymandering case—they basically were saying, "Hey, this is." Up to the state legislatures, if they're a bunch of GOPers, then they can write the the thing that way. Um, you know, once you actually read the stories, though, you find out that they were even throwing it to Congress more, basically asking Congress that we can't make these rules because you haven't done anything. So um, the door is still open, and you know, I've been reading some other articles, and we know that. This 2020 election is going to be big for that. If if, uh, if 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 Democrats in some way are able to take uh, both houses and the presidency, we know that there will probably be legislation written, and then that can be tried in front of the Supreme Court again, or there will be it'll be tested. Um, and so there actually is a window. This is not a perpetual thing here. There is a chance that this can be fixed. Uh, that's my one point I want to make on that. Um, but the knocking mm-hmm. down of the census question is huge, too. And these two things are, are tied 
in more ways than just one being big for Democrats, um, you know, a loss for Democrats, quote unquote, which is the gerrymandering um, uh, decision, and a, and, a, and, a, and a win and a loss for the GOP, which is the census question. But they're tied because we know that the census means reallocation of seats. So that 2020 um, uh, uh, redistricting is is really important, and whatever comes out of it, this 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 is not over. And we talked about Supreme Court justices, but now if anybody wants gerrymandering to end, you better go to the polls in 2020 because otherwise you're going to have these rigged districts, and and they're never going to be fairly elected again. Um, there was a you know again the only you know kind of. Uh, I, I like to stay away from you know quoting Twitter Twitter as much as I can, but there was a, a, a great tweet I saw um, you know talking about well if we're already here how do you get out of it basically you know if you're already gerrymandered in it's 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 end it's it's you know it's it's it it's gonna self perpetuate itself um, and, and you know we have to find a way to make this as balanced as you could. And, you know, I'll throw it back to Arizona again. And what happened here is there's an independent redistricting commission here in Arizona. Um, in 20, uh, da, da, in 2000 was the first time um, they ended up having, you know, it was slightly Republican. So they ended up gerrymandering some. They tried to go independent again in 2010. They ended up getting somebody who was literally independent as the chairperson and she made it be as equal as possible and the republicans were just just heated and po'd that they didn't get to rig any of these um uh, uh, uh districts and that they weren't going to be and they were as balanced as possible and then we ended up seeing them shift back and forth through the congressional uh, elections almost being like you would hope it would be that then you allow policy to then change these things and not just make it be GOP no matter what because the base will always vote for it and that's all you need um, but these these cases were big and it also plays against to to John Roberts role those are the big takeaways I took from it what were what did you see yeah, I think you summed up very nicely what my thoughts were on this. Uh, you know, there's, look, gerrymandering is a really serious problem in a lot of states. And if we're being fair in the past, Democrats have done that as well. They're not innocents in this. Sure. Uh, and, you know, this has got to stop, period, okay? Neither party should be able to do this. Districts should be made up in ways that are proportionate and make sense. And that has not been the case. But the GOP has used it far more effectively to its benefit in the last 10, 20 years. Right. As a general um, approach, it's in, you know, it kind of lies back into what we were talking about with migrants willing to use anything in order to get more seats, more power, being able to then pass the judges and, 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 and do their tax cuts. And they don't care what it takes to get there, even if it conflicts with the principles of the country. I mean, right. I mean, it's whatever. Yes. I think, I mean, it just, it shows, again, if, if people who are interested in upholding, again, basic democratic values and principles, and at one time the Republican Party used to be okay with that, too. That was actually a pretty good time for the country when that existed, <laughs> more or less. Mm -hmm. But if you care about those things, I, you know, the Supreme Court, do not look to them to, frankly, not with this makeup on the court. And John Roberts, who at times can be, I think, a very sensible swing vote on things, and now that Anthony Kennedy is gone, and I hate to bring this up, Kennedy's legacy is forever stained because of how his departure off the court went. 
and given the whole weirdness behind that and Brett Kavanaugh being chosen to replace him. Um, you know, and I would think that, you know, Chief Justice Roberts would want a real legitimate legacy for his tenure there. Uh, I, I, I didn't quite find his ruling on this as terrible as some did, because for the reasons you said, he's telling the states, look, you got to fix this. We can't do anything further. Yeah, argue with that or not, I, I don't think they're totally wrong on it. Right. Yeah, the I'm... problem, I mean, but again, the problem is you can't count on this court mm-hmm. to, to uphold the things I mentioned, especially because you have four justices on there. Roberts is a conservative, no question about it. But again, he has shown a lot of restraint and common sense in certain rulings. Uh, you will not get that from Clarence Thomas, right. Samuel Alito, right, right. certainly not the disgraceful Brett Kavanaugh, who has no business being on that court. Mm-hmm. And now, Neil Gorsuch, I will say right now, I think in my opinion, the jury, bad pun intended, is still out on him. He has sometimes bucked the Trump administration with some of his votes on the court. Um, and he was one of the ones, I believe, who voted with the majority on the census, if I can't correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I might be wrong on that, but he has bucked the Trump administration on some, in some major rulings. But again, it just an advice to people who care about having fairer elections. You can't count on the court to save you. And that means voters, like you said, they're going to have to get out in overwhelming numbers next year. So frankly, nobody can steal the election. And we know mainly which person would like to do that more than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the census was, in general, a pretty good ruling, although the Trump administration can still cause a lot of havoc with this. Uh, They're supposed to start printing these July 1st. So I, I suspect between now and then you're going to have, you might have a lower court stepping in to even stop them from printing it if they won't take that citizenship question off. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was some of the... Yeah, it was some of the, you know, I was shocked to hear that some of the response was, well, we might have to delay the census. And, 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 you know, you start saying, (laughs) like, what? You know, I mean... Uh, I don't recall the Bush administration doing that. Well, the last census was 2010. Okay, I don't recall the Obama administration doing this or the Clinton or the George H.W. Bush administration doing anything like this. They respected what the census was about and did not screw with it. And again, I'm sorry to go back to this. I know some of our listeners may be tired of hearing it. Trump is doing this to keep his base in line. And that is all he cares about. Yeah, you know, I mean, it does. And it, it, it is a, 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 a crazy question to ask is because the 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 understood the understanding always was you don't want to have that question there because then you might make people not answer you or not say the truth. And so that you can't accurately count people, then you can't allocate votes. You can't say where there's you know, I mean, we're supposed to be counting these things specifically. But at the same time, you know, I mean, a question on whether you're legal or not, you know, what that question lies to, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. But you have to assume that we're not going to have mass deportations because we know that it doesn't work. I mean, Trump even saying that they're going to deport millions of people. I mean, I did a story 
uh, eight years ago, I think, about how much it would literally cost, which, you know, you're you're getting up into the hundreds of billions of dollars just to just to uh, try to deport, um, you know, uh, t- a 10, 12 million people, which is what the you know number is for illegals um, or, you know, those who are not here um, legally. Um, but it's it it why even ask the question? Do you see it? That there's any justification for wanting to have that is be part of the record that it that no. it, that that it, that it, it at all does more good than it does harm. I, again, uh, you're doing this for the reason I already said. Uh-huh. This is about keeping that base fired right. up and angry and right. ready for next year because if they do not show up for Trump in the same numbers they did in '16, he's done, and he knows it. Make no mistake. You know, again, I we've talked about immigration to this country, legal and otherwise, it, the, the situation in this country has been for many years an extraordinarily complicated one. And I, I keep harking back to this because I was talking to somebody the other day. President George W. Bush had a very good program to help try to maybe start solving. It right. wouldn't fix everything. But solving our illegal immigration problem, his own party throwed him, throwed it under the bus. Right which was an incredible mistake on their part because that would have been, had that passed, a genuinely good thing for Bush's legacy. Yeah. And all due credit to him and the Republicans for making it happen at that time. Right. Again, but you do not have what right now with Donald Trump or 99% of the GOP, I'm sorry to say it, any sincere attempt to really address the issue of illegal immigration and or you know, how we go about starting to better police or for that matter, count the numbers. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to help anyone. It's not, it's, it, but I, I'm sorry, I don't mean sputter here, but again, we know why they're doing it. Let's just hope that question is not on the census, census because it's going to be a destructive thing. And by the way, I'm going to say this in the long run, it's not going to help the GOP either. Well, let me throw another thing out so, to you right before we, right, right, right before we end, because again, this is turning in, I think, to our record length podcast, which, again, time flies when I'm talking to Karen. However, do you think if the Trump administration would try to put this census out, still with the question, that's grounds for impeachment, right? When when the Supreme Court of the I, United States has said that you're not, you you can't. That that is the argument I've heard, and I think there there is a lot of validity to it. I get none of this, nothing this administration does make, makes even the slightest amount of sense in terms of what is best for our country and all of its citizens, including people who voted for Donald Trump in the long run. So I just, let's be grateful that the, the Supreme Court had the ruling it did on that. The gerrymandering, not great, but I don't think it's the end of the world either. Yeah, there had to be something done, I do think. You know, with the gerrymandering, and every time that there was something brought to federal courts or up to the Supreme Court, there was so much gray area, and there was so much, you know, decisions. You'd be like, "How could they approve that?" And I think it's because there's nothing that's solid. There's nothing that has a good idea whether you go to a real independent redistricting or whether the U.S. Congress tackles this and says, "This you have to do it this way," and it has to be done with your most equal balance of 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 of, of 
you know, voting blocks, whether you're trying to get 50 um, uh, percent Democrats, 50 percent GOP, the best you can. And, you know, obviously it's not going to work everywhere and you have to work on that. That's what they did here. And Arizona became a competitive state. And, and that's just the way it needs to be. It just stays healthy. There's discussions to be made. And, you know, I, you know, we're not a healthy democracy when we have um, easy win districts. And it's just, you know, folks deciding who wins a primary um, really de- you know, decides who wins a seat. And that's the way, especially the G- GOP would love for it to be. Uh, agreed. And, I, you know, this is, again, a party not too long ago that had very sensible, reasonable policies when it came to immigration, not only from what pre- former President Bush proposed, but Ronald Reagan's decision in 1986 right. to give people who were undocumented in this country amnesty. It was the right thing to do. And with the but xenophobes, again, though, in the G- now. I'm sorry. well, with the xenophobes in, I mean, the xenophobes in the GOP, um, is isn't it that it seems like politically only a Republican president can actually get this through because you'll never get GOP votes unless it is a GOP president. Well, right, but the problem is Donald Trump has no credibility whatsoever. Oh, yeah, yeah. He on doesn't anything. want to do it, so it will not be him. Perhaps if you know, maybe in say. Um, I don't even know who's a better, who would be another, you know, acceptable Republican standard standard bearer after this nightmare ends. Justin Amash. And that's a damn Justin shame. Amash. It really is. Um, it, it's, you know, perhaps there eventually there will be a Republican president in office who's, you know, a human being, again, uh, you know, unlike Trump, who does have sincere and legitimate intentions to reform our immigration policy. And I wish that person well, whoever it is. Maybe it will be the Democrat who hopefully did defeats Obama next year, who can work with the Congress. I mean, Trump, right. Who's actually interested in doing something, right. Um, you know, I, I just don't know. But for now, unfortunately, as long as we have uh, the person in the White House we do and a party that's willing to enable him every step of the way, we're, we're just not going to have any sensible immigration reform. I, I'd be shocked if it happens. Karen, thanks again for the podcast. Thanks again for chatting with me and and, and, and bringing all this information to everyone else who listens. Um, I you know I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. I I thank uh, all of our listeners. I wish all of them and their families a a wonderful Independence Day and um, just uh, you know cheers to uh, as we head into summer. <laughs> Here's to a better summer for all of us. Another minor thing I wanted, it's not minor, but one other thing I want to mention is some people know the 9-11 first responder and advocate Louis Alvarez, who testified so movingly uh, before Congress recently about benefits for first responders to the 9-11 attacks died. May God, may God bless him. And he will always be remembered for his heroic stance, both during that horrible day in our country and certainly afterwards. Well, let's leave it on that note. Uh, We'll talk to you all next time, uh, everybody. Thanks again, Karen. We'll see you again. Thank you, John. Thank you, everyone. Take care.